This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hey everybody, it's Joe here. Stick around after our end credits for a special Halloween treat. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Happy Halloween, Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Happy anniversary. Ah, right. Oh, my gosh. This is, is this four years of Fright School today? Yes. Ah, how it is. awesome. Ah, I can't believe it. It's, it has, it has truly flown by. Uh, all of our 140 plus episodes. Still such a pleasure, Joe. Week after week, trying to terrify you. <laughs> <laughs> and succeeding in some regards, Yes. <laughs> So uh, today we're, it's a very special episode of Fright School, obviously because it's Halloween and also because we have a very special guest on, uh, on the show today. He is a writer, director, actor, co-wrote uh, Hulu and Blumhouse's All That We Destroy, uh, directed by the fabulous Chelsea Stardust, who also happens to be his fiance, and the composer-creator yeah. of Slashed the Musical. Uh, this is my favorite part. He's a rocker, a slasher, a vampire, a zombie, a cop, and a cowboy. Fright School, please welcome the haunted village people, Sean Keller. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. That's great. <laughs> I was like, that is a fabulous little um, uh, uh, bio. Oh, so, <laughs> those, those are like all the roles. I play so many bit roles in a lot of friends films and so those are like i need the cop i need the cowboy like i'm the guy that they just go to for like general uh, malicious white male i guess <laughs> <laughs> and we have a an episode title friends <laughs> yes bam uh well we appreciate you coming on today we're obviously we're going to talk about mostly about your uh new album uh revenge of the killer sounds of halloween a follow-up to last year's the killer sounds of halloween <laughs> um but uh yeah you've got quite uh, your um i always mix up the letters imdb <laughs> is filled with lots of fun i'm like wow there's a lot to explore so we're gonna talk about music today but we're gonna have to have you come on again and just do a dive into your uh, your horror career um yeah. but uh let's just kind of just start generally um like we usually do uh why why horror for you 
Why do you work in, in horror? <laughs> I mean, doesn't the, the answer always come up down to the same? Like everyone felt a little bit like another, like the outsider. Uh, and there's no place that embraces it quite like this. Um, in addition to that, being raised Catholic is a huge part. <laughs> um, without, a, without a doubt. I mean, the, the, everything regarding this is uh, bathed in blood. You, you drink it. You eat his flesh. Uh, I, I would stare at this beautiful crucifix, this giant crucifix in, in an otherwise very bland church of this, you know, ripped, sexy dude bleeding with like an orgiastic look on his face. And, you know, that's pretty much Clyde Barker. Like, right. uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it, that I was always like first scared by those kind of things. And so religious horror got me and, and religion was really my, like, religion was my gateway drug to horror for sure. You know, oh, that actually, I don't think that has been said on here before. Like people have talked about the no. otherness and the outsiderness, but yeah, I don't think, yeah. has anybody ever really discussed like, yeah, the kind of the violence, the horror of religion? Cause that, it, I mean, it's very true. Like, yeah, you're right. When you kind of grow up in that sort of, you know, where like ritualistic cannibalism is part of the, <laughs> the conversation. I mean, that does it make sense. The, it is the, the sacred core yeah. of the religion. And so that's that's if you have any like dark inklings in you at all as a kid and that's being fed to you, you're like, oh, this is all fucked up. This is this is scary. Uh, and so it made me very quick to buy the supernatural, man. Um, it was it, it really helped. It really got me in. And then, you know, it's all about Halloween. The night, that, you know, sort of repressed young kid, I could go out after dark alone and get into trouble. And no one was, I was never allowed to do that any other night. So, and that, that felt like freedom. That felt like heaven. <laughs> that is sort of an interesting juxtaposition, you know, when you do think about it, like there's so much like horror surrounding Halloween, obviously, and fear about like what people are doing and they're out there like, you know, uh, kidnapping children or, you know, worshiping Satan. And it's like the night that people are like, oh, yeah, go out alone. I'm, I'll be yeah. home. You know? <laughs> yeah. that, that was my favorite part about it is like it's this colossal level of parental irresponsibility that, that is, <laughs> I find really endearing as a dad. I'm like, yeah, go wander. Have fun, guys. You know. <laughs> Uh, Sean, where oh, did you grow up in like a like a suburb like where it was like Halloween was popping, or did you have to go to somewhere else? I grew up in a a sort of upper middle class suburb in in Northern Virginia, and Halloween was a big deal. Uh, neighbors didn't really get into heavy competition about their yard displays, but they were plentiful. Um, and everyone celebrated. And so every single door, you know, you knocked on for blocks and blocks and blocks uh, participated. And so it became a, a very long night of like complete uh, sleeping bag for some pillowcase full of candy kind of halls um, where you'd go for three hours or more. Um, it was it was perfect. I couldn't imagine it being any better. That's awesome. That's, awesome. That's so awesome. Um, I, I didn't have like our, my neighborhood wasn't like that, but we did go to like the rich people lived on the Hill and we would go up there and they'd have all their fancy, um, all their fancy decorations. And then there was also one cul-de-sac that like at a very steep incline that when you made it to the top, you, um, the children were rewarded with basically, um, cotton candy, popcorn. Like they had all of the like carnival style snacks, and full-size candy oh, yeah. bars, of course. So, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it, 
I feel like if I, things would be a lot different for me in my trajectory. If I had that neighborhood that was like super into Halloween. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. It was also, I was very lucky that my mother, uh, sort of said when I was like going into high school, she's like, like when I was in the eighth grade, she's like, well, this is your last Halloween. And I was like, what? Uh, and she's like, yeah, you, yeah, you're told to trick or treat when you're in high school. And I was like, oh. And I'm really glad she did that to me because that totally reframed my opinion of the holiday. And then I was the one giving out candy. That meant I was building out the front porch and then I'm making scares. And like all through high school, I just fell in love with scaring the piss out of all the neighborhood kids. Um, <laughs> and that became like, oh, this Halloween, this holiday doesn't end when you stop trick or treating. And that was like an important revelation that I hit really early on. And I was like, okay, I can, I can keep this for the rest of my life. Um, and it really has been like my favorite holiday ever since I was a kid. Yeah, absolutely. That is true. Like, um, I, I love that we don't get a ton of kids in our neighborhood. It seems like it, it kind of fluctuates. Like some years you do, we get tons of them and some, some years we don't, but our house is definitely a spot where all through October, you know, people stop by and their kids want to look and we add to it as it goes along, you know, as the month goes along, we'll pick up something else and put it in. And, um, there is a special kind of delight in that and knowing that like you're that house in the neighborhood, um, especially for us, because we really are like one of the very few that go all out. And then, you know, we, um, it's just cute. Just, just the other day, a person was walking with their kids. It was like, we have to stop at your house every day because they want to look at it. <laughs> it is. It's so, I don't know. It's so cool for somebody who does not particularly appreciate kids any other day of the year. <laughs> I do. Well, I've got, uh, we live in a <laughs> building and so we don't really get a lot of trick-or-treaters, but yeah. we are the spooky apartment. And so the little kids in the building, every time they walk by the window, they have to stop and, and, gape and, and stare through the window until their mom goes, stop doing that and pull them away. And I'm like, no, <laughs> let them stare. That's why we put it up, you know? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Does your, um, does your apartment complexes, like when we were growing up and we lived in apartment complexes, a lot of times they had like a, a group party. I mean, maybe not this year, but you know, so all the apartment, we'd come out to the courtyard and people would have candy and you just kind of hang out that way. Do you all have that? Where you're we at. don't do that here so much. Uh, right. There's a lot of like, you know, leave out a please take one thing uh, oh, okay. because mm-hmm. you know, mostly adults that most people were going out on Halloween. Right. That makes you sense. Um, there's a couple of families with kids. And so I always make sure that I've got stuff ready to go um, to take care of them. But no one else is coming because it's a you know, security gate. And no one's going to try to buzz in on Halloween. That's just not yeah. what happens. <laughs> uh, that, yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> What are some of your earliest, so like, what was the first horror film you remember ever seeing? Like just on accident or even on, you know what I mean? Just, do do you remember? I feel like Frankenstein was always in my life and I can't remember having seen it first, but I can always remember an idea of Frankenstein's monster being in my life, but the blob, the blob, the original fifties blob I saw on TV when I was like four and it fucked me up i was so scared uh it was because it can get in anywhere like that was my my thought like i know that my door isn't airtight like it can definitely get into the cracks i saw it going through cracks like it it scared me in a way that nothing else had because i guess it was so undefinable it was like my first time feeling cosmic terror like lovecraftian horror as like a four-year-old and it, it really had me uh sleepless for a little while and my mother's like oh i don't think you should watch scary things anymore i'm like no no no, give me more like i, <laughs> I want more <laughs> uh, 
it's so funny that that yeah there's some kids who yeah that definitely they see something and then never again like they're fine you know and we uh, we have plenty of friends i'm sure all of us know those people that's like oh no i saw that movie and never again i will not touch a horror film you know yeah. it's the cat on the hot stove you know kind of thing and then others of us go oh no this that's that yeah. was a nice feeling let's get more of that <laughs> that felt like something i wasn't supposed to do yeah. let's do it again absolutely <laughs> what do you think of the 80s uh remake of the blob um i love it i i i was such a like even then i'm a little older so even then i was a dick about it i'm like i don't want to watch a remake of the blob the blob is perfect um and so (laughs) it took me a while to come around to watching it and then i was just floored it's so good it's right up there next to the thing as far as like awesome practical effects and in camera optical effects and every way that film is shot is plus it's well written and there's you know little little bits of comedy in it they're they're really golden um i i think it's a a fantastic film that even with kevin dillon in the lead is still good True. Yeah, we did. We did an episode on it where we did kind of both. We did like a compare and contrast of both the original and and the remake. And I remember seeing that on TV as a kid, like, you know, it was like Saturday movie matinee, you know, um, type thing that we had where, you know, on the um, uh, the television station that I grew up with every Saturday, they showed like three films. And so that would come up a lot in uh, Halloween or, you know, horror times. And yeah, I always love it. It's just so gross. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a really fun, gross take on the whole thing. Plus then it has that whole like, you know, corporate, like, you know, destroying the environment, you know, I mean, there's in religion, there's just a lot of weird stuff wrapped up in that. Um, yeah. It's, it's, that's where you can feel uh, Darabont all over it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, that's so cool. And so you said you have you have a kid or kids? I have I have two children. Uh, one of which is principal in my making music. He is my engineer. My son Folsom. Uh, he is the engineer, mixer, and master of everything I record. Uh, co-producer of everything on the album. He plays guitar on a couple of tracks and sings on one as well. Um, he's far more talented than I. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of annoying where I feel like maybe I have to kill him. Right? <laughs> there could only be one, the Highlander, you know. He's... Exactly. <laughs> it isn't Keller's. Uh, um... <laughs> um, so, yeah, so... I a younger son as well, who's, uh, who's a really rad little chef. Oh, nice. So question, right? So you, so we talk a lot on the show about like horror is heirloom. So like, you know, the horror, horror is gifted by like a family member, a sleepover, someone gives it to you. Have, what is it have, what have you given to your kids, to your sons? Like what, do you remember the first kind of horror that maybe you gave them or, or maybe the first time they came to you with something um, from the genre? I was, I was always, presenting it to them always. Um, I, you know, gauged it slowly. Um, but, uh, my parenting from the very beginning was very much like, I'll show it to you. And, uh, if you want to see it and if you're, you have questions, let's talk about it. And if you're too scared, we'll turn it off. Uh, and they never once asked for anything to be turned off. Um, (laughs) often had nightmares afterward, but that's growing up. Uh, and I think of, of horror movies as boot camp for the psyche. I think it's really important for a growing mind and a growing psyche, uh, because the world is 
is mean. It's horrible. Terrible things happen and you're going to see it in your life. And if you've experienced like a facsimile of it in a safe environment, it prepares your mind and your emotions to deal with it. Even if you don't know it's helping you, it's helping you. Uh, it is medicine in a certain way. And so I think it's really important to always, you know, judge where your kid is at. And that's a personal thing, what they can and can't take, but it's okay to push them. Your kid having a nightmare is not a problem. It's not, uh, that doesn't mean stop doing things. That just means your kid is sussing things out. As long as you're watching with them and discuss what they're watching, you can show them anything. Wow. I love all, everything you just said was great. I was going to ask you about what, you know, when you talk, because we haven't had too many parents on the show, at least not parents with adult children or older children. Most of the, most of the people that we've had have had very young kids, so they are not even yet really watching films in that way anyways. Uh, so I was going to ask you what you would say to like other parents or, you know, cause there's always that discussion of like, you know, what are you showing your kids or, you know, what are you letting them watch? And so all of that, that was really great. If you start them off with things like, you know, Scooby-Doo or coward, uh, courage, the cowardly dog, that was courage is, is gateway horror. Um, my kids watched that, loved it. And I knew that they, when they started getting the references, they're ready to see things. Um, they always had the universal monsters in their lives because those aren't, scary scary they're yeah. just examples of basically of tragedies they're they're gothic tragedies that are great little tales to help you sympathize with monsters so i love them and i think that every kid can watch them at any point in time and the more that you expose your kid to black and white film early in their life the less likely they are to reject it later on um i my youngest has got a real propensity for silent films. He loves it on when TCM has silent film Sundays and he thinks that they're more interesting than most movies. Um, so, and he does spend too much time on his phone and all the other things that a kid does. But uh, there are certain things that you can do as a uh, parent. Your, your job is to be the gatekeeper of taste. <laughs> I, never, I never once allowed... Barney or the Wiggles, any of that horseshit into my kids' lives. If they wanted simple songs they could sing along with, they got ACDC and the Ramones because <laughs> real simple, catchy, and nothing beyond their grade level. Right. Huh. No, I I love all of that. <laughs> that is great. No, that that is some, you know, we well, so talk a lot about weirdos. Raising real weirdos. No, I'm sure. And that's the thing. Yeah. Prepping, you know, for anxiety, you know, for anxious situations and kind of learning how to navigate those feelings, uh, horror. Yeah, absolutely. Is a, is a great avenue, uh, for teaching that. And also, yeah, I like, I love that idea of, you know, these Gothic horror tales of like Frankenstein and, and such being, you know, about outsiders being about otherness, being about looks can be deceiving, uh, the story you think, you know, you know, it's, there's, there's more happening. I mean, that's a great, um, morality builder, you know, of, of going out into the world and meeting other people and engaging with them and, and, and not knowing the full story. Um, it also builds empathy, you know, yeah. kids, little kids don't watch Frankenstein and fear of the monster. They look at them, they go, Oh, yeah. And they hate what happens to them. And it's instantly building empathy for the other. And it's, that's also something that has to be, you know, fostered in a kid because it, yes, it comes naturally, but people tend to try to wean it out for some freaking reason. Um, and so I think these monster movies do a great job of, of, of really helping a child develop that empathy and start to feel uh, for a complicated emotional situation, which is, you know, that's, that's growth. That's how you learn and how you grow up. 
And that's life. Life is complicated and emotional, like complicated emotional situations left and right. Um, so adding that nuance very early on that it's, you know, you, and I can only imagine, cause like I never, wa- I never watched um, the original Frankenstein until, you know, doing the show. And I always thought that it was like going to be this like super duper scary fear, run in fear type thing because that's what you see when you go to like universal horror nights or you go to these places and then now you're watching it i'm just like wow this is very this is very sad <laughs> this is very sad and just yeah. if you had think if i thought about it in a different way and had early exposure i wonder how that would have changed me and what would have been different absolutely yeah, i mean he's a he's a combination of corpse parts who never asked to be mm-hmm. and so it's it, it's really easy to identify with that when you feel like a kid who's an outsider. You go, oh, you know, I, especially like when you're getting uh, just a bit hormonal and your body doesn't seem like yours anymore. You know, it's really, really easy to identify with Frankenstein's monster. It's really easy to identify with the Wolfman because I'm getting hairy and horny and angry. Like uh, all <laughs> these, the monsters are really great developmental tools. That is, yeah, I, I love all of that. That is really, that is really great. Uh, really great points. <laughs> and you have kids that have turned out and they're all right and they're not killing people, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, one, you know, life is chef. long, so Joshua. Like the, line, <laughs> the line's real small there with a chef. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's amazing. Um, okay. So just to pivot a little bit, I wanted to talk about like your work in music. Like have you played music your whole life? Did, was that something that came naturally to you? Um, because I mean, you know, obviously we'll delve into, but I mean, the record's really super fun. And uh, so I'm just curious if you can give us a little bit of your history of music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, music was always my first love. I wanted to be a rock star since I was a kid. Um, For somehow, I always thought I'd be a rock star novelist. And I'm like, I don't know how those go together. Um, (laughs) But when in my little kid's mind, I thought that I would be like on the radio talking about a book I wrote. Like, I don't know, like like weird kid logic. But um, so I've always wanted to be a rock star. I I started playing guitar when I was uh, 15, 15, uh, 14, pardon me. I got my my current guitar when I'm, when I was 16 that I, that I write every song on still. Um, wow. so I got my guitar for <laughs> longer than I now need to say, um, <laughs> as an old man, but, uh, I, I always did that. I was, uh, I played in bands in high school. I bust on street corners. That was sort of my, my jam was I, I played, you know, in a college band and I did some other stuff, but I started playing on street corners at kind of a young age, uh, against my parents' knowledge. Like I would sneak out, of the house with my guitar and hop in the car and drive into old town Alexandria and uh, put up shop uh, across the street from the fish market. It was this uh, restaurant that had a second story and a third story balcony. And I would sing across the street up to the two balconies. So I would practice like my big belt and I would sing real loud and, and play cover songs and then take uh, requests. And I did that from the time I was like 17 uh, up until I was uh, 20 or so. And then somebody saw me on the street corner was like, Hey, did you write that song? And I just played a song that I'd just written that week. And it was the second song I'd ever written. And he was, I'm like, yeah, he goes, you got any more? And I lied and said, yeah. And he gave me his card. And, <laughs> and uh, four days later, I, I wrote a whole bunch of songs really fast. And four days later, I was in a recording studio and I had a deal. And I was like, as a 19 year old putting songs in movies, 
And so that was the beginning of my music career. So I had a, a publishing deal um, and it was it was kind of a very thing. And I put songs that I, I, I did the love song in uh, the movie Hard Promises with Sissy Spacek and William Patterson or Peterson. Um, so it's, a, it's kind of a garbage romance. And I also have a song in the background of the bar in that. Um, and uh, and I put a song in the the movie called Stone Cold starring Brian Bosworth. Uh, that's a biker movie with Lance Henriksen and is <laughs> awesome. It's, it's a real awesome exploitation film starring a, a low rent action hero. Um, really great shit. But I did that like when I was 20. Wow. Uh, and you know and then i was in musical theater so i was roger and rent not too long after that and went on and played buddy holly in the buddy holly story and so music i was doing all that before i'd ever written a screenplay oh wow that's awesome look at that joe you know musicals have already come up (laughs) you can feel free to derail us (laughs) well no because i knew that um questions laid on me i was like i knew that you did um slashed right so uh, talk a little bit about Slashed and um, and because I knew it started out at I think it was the Fringe, right? The the was it L.A. Fringe, right? Okay, so talk yeah, a little bit more about that. Um, that was an idea that I'd always had rattling around in my brain. I since I had done musical theater, uh, and and it was never my goal to do musical theater. I sort of fell into it, and I had to learn to love it. I didn't love it, you know, right outside. It, it always seemed like a compromise to me mm-hmm. uh, as, as an artist. And so everything about it seemed like, well, the drama gets cut by the music, which has to be softened for the mass audience, which, so all those things rattled around in my brain and made me prejudiced against musical theater in general. So once I started doing it, when I sort of fell ass backward into doing rent, uh, I was surrounded by people who lived it. And I had to learn to not just, respect that which was step one uh but be to like really appreciate how much work they put into it and so watching all that i came out of doing a couple of shows then going all right i can make a show and my first attempt at writing a screenplay was trying to write an opera Mm -hmm. but i'm like (laughs) i can't write an opera that's ridiculous (laughs) Um, I, I don't know how to read and write music. I, I play everything by ear. I'm just a, a self-taught in every regard. Uh, same with screenwriting. I didn't go to film school or anything. I didn't ever go to acting classes. I, I just sort of taught myself how to do all these things um, uh, because the option is like an office job and yeah. not going to fucking happen. So I like by hook or by crook, I'll play on street corners like I did, like anything to stay alive. So I'm years later, after taking a screenplay that I tried to write as an opera that ended up just being a horror movie. Um, I tried again. I had this idea. I just had always had this one concept in my head of a slasher, like Jason cutting the shit out of everyone and then stopping and taking his mask off and singing a ballad uh, (laughs) about like, why did they make me fucking do it? And so I had it in my head all along as the core of the musical. And I wrote that song and I'm like, okay, I might be able to do this. And then my lovely fiance, Chelsea Stardust found out that I was outlining a musical and she and our dear friend, Clark Wolf, uh, hijacked the project, uh, put it into production and set a finish date and said, okay, now write. <laughs> um, like, 
we're going to do this for Fringe. This is a great idea. You can do this. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've never done this before. And so I wrote a second song. I'm like, all right, maybe I can do this. And then I just started just winging it. And, and it was just sheer terror the whole time because I've been a songwriter for a long time, but I've always only written for me. Um, I tried, tried writing songs for other people for hire and none of them ever worked. And so the concept of writing for multiple voices, multiple, uh, characters, um, all those things were a little bit foreign, but I've been screenwriting. And so the sort of application of screenwriting to songwriting, uh, I just figured if I just apply craft and apply craft and apply craft, I can get through it. And came out pretty good it's really short it's really fast i didn't like you can tell that i was just like going (laughs) i hope this is enough Uh, (laughs) as i'm writing all the songs i'm like i'm gonna do it like the thing i hate most about musicals is over long songs that don't have a hook Mm -hmm. if i walk out of musical and i'm not singing something you failed and so I wanted to make sure all my songs were really punchy and all of them were like really full of hooks and so i just started leaning on my pop songwriting you know history and banged out a bunch of period 80s style songs to go with this slide this ridiculous self-aware slasher narrative and just hoping people would like it like really just hoping i had no clue and it did so well and that has so much to do with the cast and with chelsea's direction and uh with the crazy lighting and with the fact that Folsom helped me make this whole thing because i played i don't read and write music so I couldn't come up with the charts to teach people how to sing the songs. So I just had to sing every part. So I recorded the full musical myself, uh, playing all the instruments and singing all the parts. And then would bring in cast members one by one to replace me in their part in the soundtrack so that they would learn the song that way. Wow. And then we had an album. And so it was sort of a backward way to teach people how to do a musical, but at least they could hear it all once. Yeah. And then try to find it in the studio. And then that was like the first thing we did. So by the time we were on stage a month later, <laughs> this is a pretty, <laughs> comp- pretty compressed timeline. Um, it had already evolved. It was already so much better than the recordings, which I hate that we haven't gone back and fixed, uh, but the recordings are still up. You can listen to them. They're all kind of like demos. It's a cast album. That's, you know, it's up for, I believe for free, um, for you to just download on Bandcamp. Um, but it's, it's, it was really fun. And I, I can't believe how much fun we had doing it. And I made a bunch of friends doing it. And, uh, doing it with fringe is lunatic because you have, you know, 15 minutes to set up and 15 minutes to take down, which means you can't do like blood gags and stuff like that. So uh, in the show, I would, uh, you know, when I get disemboweled, I had red uh, fabric that I would string out yarn that I would pull out uh, of my body. And it was super dramatic. And we had rubber body parts flying at different scenes. Um, and so it was, it was fun. We would love to go back and do it in a stage where we can get the audience wet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really no, that's great. Splattery. But uh, I love yeah. that idea, though, of like using. I mean, you know, you have to, you know, uh, what is it? You know, necessity breeds, you know, or whatever it is that you know, just having to like make it work. I, I think that's that's genius, and I love this idea of like Chelsea. You know, she's like Tabitha King digging out those you know pages of Carrie in the trash. Like, this is what you're going to do now. Totally. <laughs> I just love that idea of like. Yes, this is the project together. She and Clark Wolf together. We're like, uh, and you're doing it now. Uh, and I'm like, okay. And we're like, don't worry. We'll produce it. We'll, we'll get all the money. I'm like, I don't have to want to have to worry about that because I'm writing the book, the lyrics, playing the killer, uh, and being music director. So, uh, somebody you have a lot to, to do already. Yeah. Somebody else had to produce it. Somebody else had to do the lighting design. 
<laughs> I think your choreographer was Rebecca McKendry, right? Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah, Rebecca did that. Wow. That is so and, cool. Yeah, that was really fun too to see her pull out her old like dance uh, background because uh, we rehearsed in her backyard. So her kids would watch us going over choreography over and over, which was. I remember done. seeing that video. You know, going yeah. one, two, three. Yeah, we, we need That's this amazing. pandemic to be over like tomorrow so that way we can get this. <laughs> so that way we can we can we can see about mounting this somewhere because right, we need I, a full scale production. We need a full scale. There is a, there is a recording of the French Fest performance on Chelsea Stardust's video. Uh, I can provide the link for y'all if you want to see the full like 38 minutes of uh, slashery goodness that it is. Yeah, well, we'd love to include that in the notes for, you know, our listener to, like, check out. Um, yeah, what just what a brilliant concept. Um, so you mentioned, like, you know, your 80s, um, you know, so I think that's a good transition point to discuss the new record, which is what we are, are here today, Revenge of the Killer Sounds of Halloween, which is this kind of the same thing where you're sort of like musical director? Because, I mean, there's tons of people working on this, lots of guests, uh, lead vocalists. Um, it it does run like, you know, just a fun Halloween playlist. I'm thinking about just playing it at my little minuscule get together. I'm going to have, you know, cause it's perfect. It's got a lot of fun songs on it. It's got these lo- really fun interstitial, like creepy commercials and, and all of that. So how did this all come together? I, I, I mean, you, you could talk about your first one as well. Cause I imagine they're, you know, similar. They are, uh, they are tethered. Um, yeah, it's, uh, Making this was one of those weird things that I wasn't sure what I was doing when I was doing it. Um, I knew I wanted to make a spooky Halloween album, but I didn't know what that meant. Um, and so I wrote one song, and it was sort of a haunted country tune. And so I really wanted to um, lean into like doing, all right, I can do an album of just like haunted Americana, like spooky country and blues and shit like that. And I I started going down that avenue. Uh, and I got bored. I'm like, uh, I, I just, I've hit a point in my, my life where music for me is about doing the most fun thing I can because uh, it's no longer uh, a priority for money. It's no longer the emphasis of my life. It's the thing I do on the side. And if I'm going to do it on the side, I want to have as much fun as possible. And so I, I had tried for the past couple of years to put out uh, a Halloween cover song each year. And so I put out a couple of covers and I would do them in sort of contrary styles to their original. Uh, like I did a wolf like me in the style of love and rockets uh, that's on my band camp that I, I they came out pretty great. I did a, a Dolly Parton song called Drinkenstein uh, that Sylvester Stallone sings in the movie Rhinestone. But I did that in the style. Of, I did that in the style of Rob Zombie. And so I'm like, OK, this can work. I, I finished doing Slash. I knew how to make a narrative. And I'm like, all right, I can make a mixtape. And then that's when it hit me. It was just sort of like out of the blue. I'm like, oh, a mixtape. I've been making Halloween mixes for people forever. I know exactly how to do that. It has to have a creepy intro. You got to have songs that build up and then go down. You've got to have the interstitials. And so I'm like, all right. I started doing all those. And once again, uh, Chelsea steps in and goes, I know you're doing all these different styles, but if you don't bring in other people to sing it, it's still just going to sound like you. (laughs) And I'm like, no. I can do it all myself. And, <laughs> and then I like an hour later, I'm like, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, and so I started pulling in my friends, a bunch of people from Slashed 
uh, sing on it, uh, Fina Sanchez, uh, Mary O'Neill. They uh, they came from Slash and did that with me. Um, and I'd known other members of other horror musicals. That's how I got Graham Skipper and Jesse Merlin. Um, these people I knew loved horror and knew loved musicals and knew could sing. And so I knew they would give me a character voice. And so I did the same thing. I wrote all the songs. I sang them all. I played all the instruments. And then I brought in people to take my lead out and put in their personality. And so that was the process all the way through. And it allowed me to just go song by song, dive into a completely different genre. Um, and so jumping from, you know, doo-wop to metal, to country, uh, to rockabilly, to emo, like there, there's so many different genres and it was, that's really the fun of it. It was like making a list of songs and going, all right, what style should these be in? And what subject matter do I need to address? I'm like, there's not enough Dracula songs. Let's write a Dracula. You know, like just try to think through, there has to be a 50s style novelty song on every mix. Otherwise it's a failure. So I got <laughs> those every time. Um, there's just little tricks like that that you had to do. And yeah, some of them were hard. Like the idea of writing a monster mash was daunting. I mean, the monster mash is yeah. perfect. You can't, fuck with that and so i had to really just think really hard how do you what would be something that someone would hear and go oh i buy that as being like a sequel to because i know he did the you know the christmas monsters christmas and he did like and he did the monsters match again like he was doing sequels upon sequels so i'm like oh he ran out of ideas then they go trick-or-treating i'm like then that's totally in the same wheelhouse as Boris Bobby Pickett, uh, but not a complete ripoff. I didn't add the like, ha, you know, right. <laughs> very similar song. I'd say. <laughs> no, it's fun. It's it, yeah, exactly. It's super fun. It's super, you know, it, it is automatically like reminiscent of course. And it gives you that vibe, you know, that good feeling, um, you know, that's on the first album, right? That's on the yeah. That's on the first like, album. Killer sounds, yeah. Um, no, I I think that's why it really does work because it does. It sounds like a playlist that you put together. That's you know fun. It's you know all kinds of different genres, all kinds of different feels, the different voices. It does make it all sound. Did you do? Did you sit down and write all the songs yourself and then pull people in, or are there those collaborations? Oh, yeah. I haven't looked too oh, no, closely I, at the. Every song is written by me. Okay. Uh, I play all the instruments on everything except like I've got my friend uh, Sebastian O'Brien comes in to shred on my Ozzy style track because I just don't have that skill. Um, and Folsom plays, my son plays uh, the wah solo on one because I suck at playing wah guitar. And I'm like, you're better at this. <laughs> just step in. I'm like, all right, dad's going to, you know, step aside and say, here, you take the guitar and do that because I know you do it better. Um, so, but other than that, it's, I wrote everything myself. Uh, that That's where everything starts on with me and acoustic guitar. And with this second album, I wasn't sure if I had enough songs in me. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it. I had one sort of mountaintop song that I didn't do on the first album. Uh, Cause I had this whole list of like, you know, do this style and that style. And I want to do, you know, I need something in the style of uh, Oingo Boingo or, and so I made this big list and then I had thriller in all caps and I did not, get anything even close to thriller on the first album uh and it really haunted me and so i spent a big chunk of like last november and december going ah, how do i write thriller um and so i started just like listening to it over and over and I, I watched like youtube tutorials on how to break it down and make the beats and and so like i really threw myself headlong into it and till i could like walk away and know everything about thriller and then 
a couple months later, I went to see the Invisible Man premiere. And like the next day it popped in my head. I'm like, got it. I was in the shower and I started singing that the chorus, you won't see me over and over. And I'm like, oh, it's like a uh, Rockwell. It's like, uh, you know, somebody's watching me, but uh, in inverse, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I, then I had this off. Then I'm like, all right, it's Thriller with this. Um, come up with a slightly different baseline. Well, that's what, you know, and that's what's amazing is like listening to this, you can feel the, um, you can feel those influences and the, the homage that you're doing, but they do, the tracks really do stand alone as their own songs, you know, and, and obviously, yeah, track um, seven is You Won't See Me, which for me is the number one standout. That is, it, that exists on its own. Like that could be played out. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be about Halloween. Like I would listen to that at any time. It's gorgeous that I wrote I just wrote yum <laughs> and I li- and I played it over and over again I've li- I don't even know how many times I played it because it's so good it's just got a great, like the 80s vibe yes it kind of reminds me of something like you know off of like um you know any I mean a lot of new music is doing that kind of you know recapturing that 80s uh yeah vibe, but very rock and roll the vocals are great the harmony line that comes oh it's just it's delicious ear candy i, I tried really hard to try to lead <laughs> that into synth wave just a little just to make it that just yeah. like that slightly more contemporary version of i didn't want to do a complete like oh this just sounds like an 80s you know thriller copy so i'm trying to make it slightly contemporary you know just doing those little things because that's the fun of it that's the the yeah. real joy i have in the songwriting is like all right I've got a hook. Now, how do I put a counter melody on top of that? Now, how do I put another one on top of that? And how do I make, like, it's, it's weird music math that I adore. I adore it. No, totally. It's like something like the weekend, you know, has been doing, you know, it's the, and the vocals are just so like, you know, they're very like, this is a song that you would put on if you wanted to like impress someone, if this was like karaoke and you want to just be like, (laughs) I'm just going to wail and, you know, and, and just like, so that way you can like karaoke flirt with somebody. Um, I agree with Joshua. This is like, this is hands down my favorite. Like uh, the entire album is great, but like, this is the song that I've been playing for people um, because I'm just like, you guys need to listen to you. Like you need to listen to this um, and demand for more. Yeah. And um, it's brilliant and creepy, you know, the it's brilliant and creepy. Like and, that, it, you know? <laughs> and I'm so glad that you mentioned um, the, the Lee Wanell film um, yeah. for invisible man, because I see like in my mind, I see like a, like a super cut, like the, the music video is a super cut of, of like both, uh, the Lee Whannell film and then the original Invisible Man. And then we throw Hollow Man in there just for fun. Um, <laughs> uh, just to get it's some Kevin Bacon. And I'm just like, I yeah, mean, it's, it's so good. Can't resist and that's the bacon. Pretty, that was pretty much my creative process is like, do that. Like put it in a blender every time on every song and see how many, how many targets you can hit. <laughs> yeah. So to that end. Yeah. So uh, some of the tracks that I, I wrote down, um, number three, never, uh, never be your bride. Um, <sighs> I, I love that tune. It's very Susie and the Banshees cities and dust. That's what it makes me think of. It's, it's very lovely. The, you know, the changes on it are great. Um, undead. I wrote Ozzy vibe Metallica. Um, I'm not sure if that's the one you meant when you were talking about yeah. the Ozzy, you know, cause I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I could totally hear Ozzy Osbourne singing this. Mm-hmm. Um, Cannibal Stomp, Bauhaus meets the Cramps. <laughs> that that song is super fun. Uh, Renfield's oh, okay. Lament is great. Uh, sh- um, what's the sorry? And and isn't Graham Denman's performance great in Renfield's Lament? Uh, director Graham Denman. Uh, 
I, I know that he's got this lilting little emo voice, and I've heard him sing a couple times. And I was like, dude, come, you can you can do this so much better than me, please, please. And so he <laughs> crushed it. He did such a great job. No, it is. It is. It's. Uh, I mean, like I said, these were like the tracks that I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like you know, um, and then um, one of the last ones, uh, Shine. That is a great tune. And that's very like true blood, like swampy. I'm like, oh, delicious. So, I mean, there's just so many great songs. I mean, this is, and that's just the music, not even getting into the hilarious like interstitials and the commercials and, you know, all the other like really fun stuff that pops up on here. But taking all that away, the the backbone of it is is really good music. (laughs) Like that's, that doesn't feel, you know, that does not feel just like, kitschy you know i mean it's there of course because it's halloween it's fun and it's kooky and spooky and all of that but there's some really there's some really fun writing and some good lyrics and you know i was just like oh my gosh we have to have you on to talk about it (laughs) i love i love that you like shine that was the one that um on each album i tried to write a song that was like a lost song from a fake movie yeah. And so that one's supposed to be from a, a like crow era 90s vampire Seattle set, like heroin yes. vampire song where like the band itself are vampires singing the song on stage. Um, I went so far as if you look on the band camp and you click on that song and the notes, it says who the cast is and everything. Um, I, I, I made a, a very silly B-list 90s acting cast to uh, be my vampire band. Um including like Casey Samaisko and Brandon Sexton, the third, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like, and brilliant. just the name of the film, blood kiss, like this is, uh, this is the loss, like again, nineties emo, like maybe not, uh, maybe like the Eric Mabius, like crow, like we'll get, like we'll get the young Eric Mabius crow to come back. But yeah, totally. It's, it's so good. It makes me think of like Poppy Z bright, uh, Poppy Z bright. And like that kind of totally. like that vibe. Um, and that was director Matthew Curry Holmes singing lead vocal on that. So, but another friend of mine who's uh, played in a billion little bands and he's done music his whole life. And so I'm like, Hey, you want to sing? He's like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. And I love, that's one of my favorite um, like writing exercises, like, you know, with my band or with my own like songwriting is to sit, is to be like, let's make up a theme song for a film, <laughs> you know, or let's, or let's take a movie and like write a new soundtrack, you know what I mean? Or it's just, it's a fun exercise. So, and that it, it really works in this context, you know, where it's just, it, it does sound like they're, there's a movie out there and this is the song, you know? So I'm so glad <laughs> it's yeah. Overall, it is super fun. You must've had just a great time record. When was it recorded or was, is it kind of in pieces? Do you work on it throughout the year? Like how, how does this come together? I, I write as many songs as I have. Once I have like five or six songs written, then I start recording <clears throat> and I know the rest will start coming. Um, and so I started recording this shortly after lockdown started. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. And so right around then I was like, okay, let's get going. Um, because instead of playing all the instruments, it's a one step at a time process. And so it takes, you know, a couple of days just to get the bones of a song done and, uh, and get it into a demo state. And then there's all the plussing and, and thinking about it. Like then I'll, then I'll move on. And like, I've got a good demo and now how do I go back and redo everything better? Um, <clears throat> and so I'll do it a couple of times, but my son is so good at helping me through this, um, helping me program drums and such. Uh, he, he's my, my rock that, uh, on, that I lean on for this whole thing. That's awesome. How did you do the vocals? Was it all done 
just you send people the music and they recorded them or did people come by? Like, did you meet somewhere? I recorded all the vocals, you know, I did all the tracks myself and then sent them to everyone to listen to. And then I had, uh, in June when things seemed like they were starting to settle down. Right. (laughs) And we had a big recording session. Um, and I had like two days where I brought everyone in, uh, and a couple of people I had to do remotely, but brought them in one at a time and gave them, you know, an hour in between for me to sterilize the whole place up and down and replace filters on the mics and everything like that. And so it was a, a deal to keep it clean and moving, but it was a, you know, no, no one got sick. It was a good, healthy, safe way to do it. And I just sort of rocked everyone out real fast. I brought people in and just said, I know you haven't done anything in a while. Let's go have fun and just let them unwind and go for it. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Cause when you said that you'd recorded it during this whole lockdown time, yeah, it made me wonder like, well, gosh, how did you, cause it sounds great too. On top of it, you know, it does sound, it doesn't sound like everybody's singing through their, you know, iPhone headphones. You know, there, <laughs> there. Yeah, we only have one thing. We have one track on there that was recorded on an iPhone and I'll leave it to you guys to figure out okay. um, everything else is done much better. We had uh, Alyssa Wagner sang hers remotely and she has a really nice remote setup. And so, she yeah. recorded her vocals, sent them to me. We, you know, mixed and mastered them and dropped them in and it worked great. Yeah, I know. I bet that's kind of the nice thing. Like if you do have like recording equipment or like, yeah, I mean, I've got a whole room full of, you know, musical equipment. So it's like, ah, oh, well, we could probably figure it out, you know? <laughs> so I'm sure some of the, you know, the people that worked on it were kind of in that similar situation, especially if they're filmmakers and all these other things, I'm sure, you know, probably made that easier to some extent. Um yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Thank you again for, you know, taking some time to talk about this with us today. Um, it's again, I just, it's so much fun. (laughs) It's just a really good time. It's a whole Halloween party and a, you know, in a great, how long is the album even? It's like what an hour. Uh, They are, each of them are 45 minutes. Exactly. They're supposed to fit on the side of a 90 minute cassette. Um, I, I, I very, I made them very specifically like together. It's one mixtape. Um, and so hope to maybe put it out that way soon. Um, we oh, shall see. That would be cool. I do have a third <laughs> one in the works. I've already written the first song for it. Um, it's a, a cure style Kaiju love song. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> We're here for that. <laughs> uh, you know, the self abusive one way love, uh, basically to like a love song to Godzilla. That's completely unrequited. I dig it. <laughs> I, I, I love can't this. wait. Yeah, this is going to be the new every year, like waiting for the when is it coming? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think at three, I'm going to take a break. But uh, when Killer Sounds 3D hits, you'll you'll know. I love it. I love it. So uh, where can people find you in general? <laughs> if they want to uh, follow you. Find you find me in general on Twitter at underscore Sean Keller and on Instagram at the Sean Keller. Um, you can find the music on Bandcamp. Uh, look up the Killer Sounds of Halloween or Revenge of the Killer Sounds of Halloween or my Christmas song, Holy Fucking Shit, It's Christmas. Or, uh, my, <laughs> or my song that I used to propose to my now fiance, Marry Me, that's up there. They're all up on Bandcamp. Uh, well, we love it. And we do hope that you will join us again uh, in the future to talk more about uh, horror and your your projects. So thank you again. This was this was just delightful. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I had a blast. All right, Joe. Well, again, happy Halloween. Hope everybody has a uh, has as good a time as you can. <laughs> Whatever you're doing. Fall harvest nails going. Yes. yes. Look at that. <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> happy Halloween, guys. Thank you. All right. And uh, 
yes, party on, put the record on, and uh, we will uh, we'll be in your earballs again soon. Good night, Joe. Good night. Happy Halloween. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Happy Halloween, dear listener. Joshua here. I just wanted to thank you so much for listening to our interview with Sean Keller all about his new album, Revenge of the Killer Sounds of Halloween. We wanted to give you a little taste of the album. This is my favorite song off the record, inspired by The Invisible Man. It's You Won't See Me from Sean Keller. Check it out. Find the album on Bandcamp. And again, have a very happy Halloween.